everyone, my name's Alex. And this is Tom. And welcome to the Pop-Up Podcast. This year's been a bit naff, hasn't it, Tom? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think 21 is the year for anything at the moment, especially any festivals as well as films. Yeah, the film industry's taken a bit of a hit, hasn't it? Like Lots of delays and lots of productions being postponed, which is a real shame. I know, it's all gone onto a digital platform now. You've got HBO Max, you've got Disney, you've got like all of these new platforms just like rising out of nowhere. And, like, I mean, you look at like, you know, HBO Max, they've got this Justice League film coming out. It'll probably be out by the time we release this. <laughs> How long it takes. Yeah, yeah. We got the, uh, you got the uh, Disney Plus with like, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Like they're really, mm. they're, they're taking the place of what cinemas used to be, which not necessarily a good or bad thing, but you know, it is the new norm. Do you think um, cinemas will still be around or do you think this is it? Cinemas will never die. Speaking of cinemas, um, isn't there a new um, Lord of the Rings TV show getting produced? Yeah, I've I've seen uh, Amazon Prime. uh, um, They're going ahead and making a a series. I think it's in production at the minute, actually. They're uh, they're, they're really pretty cool by the sounds of it. I mean, lots of... uh, Lots of buzz around it at the minute. There's no trailers or anything out yet, but people are really excited for that show. Oh, they are. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm ready for it. Aren't we all? As long as it doesn't... I need, it needs to come in 2021. Otherwise, there's one more waiting for just yeah. sleep. It's, it's a shame that a lot of things have been postponed like this, like in the last year and, you know, delayed and whatnot. But, you know, that's not what we're here to chat about. You know, we want to we want to talk about the, you know, the positives and the old stories that we've all had from working in the industry, you know, chatting to as many people as we can, you know, anyone from the yeah. film and television industry all the way through to like music and games. Like we just want to chat to these people and mm. anyway, enough of us. Like We've, we've had enough of us. We, we've, we've talked too much. <laughs> already okay so now on to our actual first ever guest on the podcast please welcome Stephen Hunter hello Stephen <laughs> g'day guys how are you thank you first guest that I feel very special <laughs> yeah we're, we're very the honored ones. <laughs> so how have you been <laughs> really good like we're um I should be asking you guys this because we're in Australia and Sydney in particular and the state I live in, New South Wales, I believe has probably managed this whole thing better than most. We've, apart from when it first blew up and we had like a whole cruise ship full of um, coronavirus positive people turn up. Yeah. Well, I think we, we had, um, we've had no lockdowns. So, you know, there's been a few outbreaks, but they've just managed to contain it locally mm. as opposed to what's happening in my home country of New Zealand. A couple of people get it and they, they lock the whole country down. So, you know, they've all got their different ways. But And it's even different because it feels like Australia is, is like five different countries at the moment. We've got New South Wales, we've got Victoria, we've got South Australia, Western Australia, Queensland, Northern Territory and ACT. And so... There's been border restrictions all the way through. If someone gets a case, they close the borders internally. So it's like being living. So it's been hard for tourism stuff. But, you know, what it's meant is that over here, especially in New South Wales, everyone's been traveling within their own state. You know, we've been out of, I guess, lockdown for quite a while. Uh, Last year, I did like a couple of movies and a couple of TV shows. So, you know, work's been going good. So, you know, I I think we've managed pretty well. You know, considering and work's going pretty good. So yeah, it's considerably better than we're doing over here. I mean, we're still stuck in lockdown. Like, um, like mm. I'm, we're, I'm set up in Birmingham, and Tom's in uh, he's in Guernsey. Uh, Guernsey's mm. a lot better than it is in um, 
in England, but uh, yeah. <laughs> like it's 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 bit it's a bit naff on our end. Not gonna mm. lie. I've got a mate in Sydney who has actually lived in Guernsey for a while. So I mean, oh, you guys yeah. basically self you just generally self isolate as a rule, don't you? I mean, that's yeah. The- we don't even talk to anyone, <laughs> really. So like, what UK exists? And telling people where you're from is not always the uh, easiest of things. But yeah, we haven't had lockdown really at all. It's pretty much the mm. same as your area, Stephen. It was only mm. um two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had the, we had an outbreak also with the new virus, so they put us back mm. in lockdown. For but yeah, we're coming out of it next week, so they just lock it down, and then after three weeks, they'll okay reopen it. Whereas the UK is like one case back to straight into lockdown, so I do not yeah. envy the UK people. Whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's been good, and I think the UK sort of also like as a nation and politically as well, the UK has benefited benefited from having America because usually everyone would be looking at the UK, what's happening there, and and Boris Johnson and just like laughing, but now they're going, well, at least it's not what those guys are doing. At least yeah, exactly. it's better than America. So I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Johnson's loving that. He's he's got someone that is more like a five year old child than himself. So uh, you know, I mean. We, we can't talk. We've got Smuggy the Bear running our country over here, so um, he doesn't do anything really apart from talk and riddle. So, uh, you know, but, it, you know, I think generally speaking it's good. And I think we've found when we had to homeschool, and that was the biggest thing, but we only had nine weeks of homeschooling. Melbourne had like 25 to 30 weeks of homeschooling. And I've got a 10-year-old, and, and uh, that was a bit challenging. But what we did, we, did, we you know, we would get out into nature. And, you know, as long as it was just us exercising, we could go outside. And, and our whole street managed to, you know, we had a new weekly newsletter. And I don't know, there, there, was, there was kind of this shift that happened where everyone was, because they couldn't go indoors anywhere, everyone was going outdoors. They were being out in nature, going on sort of walks, exercising, getting to know your neighbours. And I don't know, a lot of stuff has sort of really shifted. So, and, you know, humans are pretty, we're pretty adaptable, you know. Um, I think we've managed to get around it. You know, the word, no one would have heard the the word Zoom fatigue um, yeah. 12 months ago, whereas that's happening. Zoom's happened and, and a lot of work, a lot of people and I know a lot of people on my street who they haven't gone into their offices, say the Sydney CBD, and it's busier now, but a lot of them are like, I'm not going to go back five days a week now. I'll do two days a week because yeah. suddenly they can have breakfast with their children. And, you know, so it's it's uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that I think happened that will, that will never go back to what it was, which is some of it's bad, but some a lot of it is really good, I think. It's true. How had COVID affected work, especially like when like it first started? Like, how, how was it in terms of like you know? Because obviously, sets got a little bit more uh, uh, intense with uh, the like you know the health and safety protocols and whatnot. Well, at the very start, I was doing a TV show um, called Wakefield. I was on ABC, and and that got shut down. So you know, there was a bit. There was like another two weeks to film, and that got shut down. Uh, I was also due to do a movie in Brisbane with Jane Seymour, and that was meant to be in Brisbane, and that got delayed. Um, <clears throat> and then there was this other crazy movie. It's the uh, it's Children of the Corn, and it's yeah. the oh. it's, it's 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 a it's not really a remake because I think if anything, it's kind of, it's just another adaption of a short story <clears throat> of the Stephen King short story. And if anything, it's possibly a prequel um, yeah. in, in, in the timeline of the other movies, but you know, it's not related. <clears throat> and that was an American film um, directed by a guy called Kurt Wimmer who wrote the original point break. And he wrote like, um, you know, law abiding citizen that Jared Butler one where he just yeah. blows shit up the whole time, you know, and people. <clears throat> and anyway, I auditioned for that and I auditioned for a couple of roles and then had recalls. And then this COVID broke out and we thought, well, that's, that's stuffed. 
But then they kept going and then we ended up just out of Sydney in a place called Richmond and we started filming and we did, they did like two or three weeks and it was all outside because they grew all this corn, you know, obviously that's the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, once they do the outside stuff, that'll be it. But they carried on. And then then things started to get a bit better and we ended up going out to Mudgee, which is in central New South Wales, and we filmed some stuff like in a big hall and <clears throat> and they actually got the whole movie completed, which was kind of a miracle. So I think I played at two cinemas or one cinema in October and, um, you know, because we wrapped, we wrapped sort of about in June, I think, Um and I, hopefully it's going to be released on Netflix or something. So that happened. And then then the other other jobs started to start up again. The the TV show restarted, I think, and maybe in, in August. And the film was August, September. So we, we did that as well. And we actually shot that in Sydney, the, the same place where we did the Children of the Corn one. So Jane Seymour came out. She got quarantined for two weeks. And, uh, yeah, we basically got onto it. So, um, <clears throat> like, that's been good. I've been, I had a few Q&As and some coaching stuff just online. Um Acting classes are back. So I'm doing two or three acting classes a week and also some private coaching. So, yeah, like it, there was a block where it all stopped and then I think, you know, a testament to how they've handled it over here, the things have opened up. Uh, I'm sure hmm. most of the listeners are going to know you from a certain trilogy by Peter Jackson. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> so big one is... Like, how did you actually get the gig of Bomber? Uh, well, I actually, I hooked up, I, I was living, I've been living in Australia for, uh, by that stage, maybe, I've probably been there for six or seven years, and I knew that it was coming up, and this was a year before it happened, and I remember because my mum and dad were <clears throat> visiting from um, uh, from New Zealand, yeah, it would have been post, yeah, it would have been 2007, 2008, and I said, look, you know, I'd be interested, you know, um, shall we hook up again? Because I wasn't with my New Zealand agent at that time. I had an agent in Australia. And she said, yeah. And the reason I did that was because I knew that at the time I was getting, you know, some work in Australia, but I wasn't really getting to the big casting directors and Anne Robinson cast for that over in Australia. And I thought, I, I reckon I'll, I'll have a better chance of getting the role in New Zealand as a Kiwi. Yeah. <clears throat> so I hooked up with Liz Dodd and then, you know, then it came around and suddenly an audition happened and she said, look, there's, there's one. And I, and I told her, I said, look, if I get one, I will fly over. I'll fly myself over, which I did. So I flew myself over because I wanted to get in front of the casting director. Um, yeah. And Miranda Rivers was casting in Auckland for Liz Mullane, who's the, the you know, Pete's main casting director. Yeah. Um, so I flew over, did my audition and then, you know, went and visited my parents for a few days, but they had no idea I was based in Sydney. And when they found out, they were like, Oh, we could have got you in a room over here. But I was like, no, nah, I wanted to, I wanted to get in the room and I also wanted to get hired as a Kiwi because we're basically, we're cheap. We're a lot cheaper and everyone laughs, but it's actually quite, it's actually quite true. And, and I knew that true. they were quite, they were quite keen to cast Kiwis. And at that stage, um, I think by that time, Guillermo um, del Toro had left. Um, yeah. So it was always going to be Pete. This was in June. And then I heard nothing for three months. And then, um, September rolled around and I got a phone call and apparently Pete has a system where it's either green light, yellow light, red light, green light, just and hire them yellow light. Yeah. We might put them through recalls, red light. No. And apparently I got green lit straight away. So that's fantastic. I, I, I got dressed up in all these crazy um, rags because uh, a few years earlier, my um, mate of mine, Nigel Saunders, who's from Kent, 
And it was quite funny because he lives in Kent, but I met him at American accent classes. And even now he always, he talks like this, hey Steve, we should go and do this run, shouldn't we? You know, you know, and he's all like, you know, oh yeah, we're really excited. And we did this thing called the City to Surf and we got dressed up like Braveheart warriors. Yeah. And so I had this costume as us doing Braveheart warriors running 14 kilometers with face painted blue. He'd, he'd jump on a bridge and do the whole speech. Um, and I found out he went commando the whole time. That was something I found out later, thankfully. Um, also, if you're ever going to do the city to surf, don't stop at a pub on the way to have a midi uh, because that definitely does hinder your performance. But anyway, so I had this costume and my friend, he, he got scissors to it and ripped it up. And then I, I had my hair long and I had my hair or whatever. And, and a friend of mine, this Israeli guy who was just really focused, he's a personal trainer as well. And he said, go for a run. So I ran down the hill and up again to the bus stop next to the casting room. And I almost passed out and, but I put my jacket on, walked into the room, and she goes, oh, Steve, how are you? And I go, good. And then I took my jacket off, and I could see this look on her face. I thought, is, that's either really good or really bad. Um, and I did a take, and it was all, we all auditioned for Gloin in a Scottish okay. accent. Yeah. It was a generic dwarf audition. And I did that, and she goes, pull it back a bit. I was excited. I probably was too loud. She goes, remember, it's camera, you know, pull back. I go, yeah, cool. Second take, done. That was it. But I remember sitting in the waiting room on the way out, or coming out and seeing a guy with a script in his hand, reading through the lines. And like, to me, that, that's something you get. I didn't have a script in my hand because I knew it so well. And yeah. that's how prepared you have to be for these. But I remember walking out and a friend of mine was working for the casting place. And I remember just falling on the floor, exhausted from just the mental preparation and, you know, flying countries to do an audition. And, but I remember leaving going, I reckon I'm in with a shot here. Um, anyway, yeah. Fast forward three months later, get the call. You've been, you know, given the role of Bomber. And I was like, oh, oh, cool. That's the fat one, right? Yeah, excellent. I thought I'd get that one. Um, and that was <laughs> it, really. <laughs> so um, like, how, how was it like actually, like, you know, on set working with, like, <clears throat> working with Peter and working with all these other, you know, got Martin Freeman, Richard Armitage, you know, all these different fantastical actors and, again, Peter Jackson, one of the most accomplished directors of the last mm. like, 30 years. Like, how, how was it like, you know, like, you know, for you personally? It took a while to get used to it. Like, I remember that when we first arrived, we all stayed at the Museum Hotel, which is a nice hotel, so close to the water in Wellington. And we went out, all went out for dinner. And my family were there because when we traveled, the day we traveled it was like 13th of January, we flew over 2011. And my daughter was 10 weeks old. So I moved my whole family and the 10, 10 week, it was just, it was crazy. Um, and then we're at the hotel and, you know, the girls settled, obviously they had a, you know, early night and, and I went out for dinner with the boys and we went to this great, I think it was called Charles or something like that, or, and Mr. Charles or something like that. And, and I remember sitting like next to Martin and then across from Richard and just like a little bit of, well, a lot in awe of that. And then when we first started, I was quite panicked I was like, geez, you know, I'm with some really big hitters there. But it soon became apparent that great actors as they were, I got the feeling, no, I've got this, you know, I'm, I'm, I belong here. And it took a little while, but then after that, it just all blended in. And, and it's interesting, the way we shot it was obviously, you know, chronologically. I mean, apart from the first thing they shot was the uh, Riddles in the Dark scene with yeah. Andy. And the reason they did that was because Andy went on to direct second unit. So they, they needed to get that done first. But apart from that, everything was chronological. So we started in Bag End and, 
you know, in the story, that's when everyone meets and they get to know each other. Some may have met before, some may not have, but this is us all meeting each other as actors as well. So it was really nice how it grew um, along the way. But I remember sitting there with Adam Brown because Adam was the other one who was just like, couldn't believe it. And he was like, he goes, I'm just waiting for the for the real Adam Brown to turn up. Maybe they got the wrong one. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I'm sure. And I, I felt the same. And then Ian turned up as Gandalf and I was like, Oh, this Gandalf, you know, and that's when shit got real, pretty much. Yeah. And um, and yeah, it was it was it was cool. And then sort of it just, I don't know, just rolled on. We just carried on. I mean, we had pre-production for a lot longer because Pete was was quite ill, um, and so it delayed for about six weeks. We were meant to start in January. We wouldn't start till start of March. Um, so yeah, it was. And then because of that, we were working six day weeks to start with, and it was pretty full on, you know. Um, so it was amazing and. You know, the, just meeting those guys, and you know, I'm very close to a lot of them now. You know, I always will I, be. I imagine that. so. Yeah, mm. still keep in touch then. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've, I've, um, I was in the UK a couple of years ago, and I, I went and had dinner with Jimmy. Um, you know, because we got on really well. We were there. We were brothers, so we sort of had a connection. So, and he loved rugby and wine, like myself. So, um, I probably keep in touch with, I guess, Jed and um, Jed. Um, He's in New Zealand, but mainly probably Graham McTavish, Graham and, and yeah. Adam over two. I keep up. I mean, Dean every now and then, but you know, he's Dean's a bit of a recluse. He's he's got his photography business and the new baby. Well, not new anymore, probably a couple of years old now, but or a year old. But um, you know, uh, yeah, we still keep in touch. And uh, Jed Brophy and Mark Hadlow did a movie called Blue Moon, like a short film that won some awards. And they came to Sydney a couple of years ago, and I remember. I said, look, I'll pick you up. I'll take you for a tour around the Bondi and Eastern beaches. And honestly, it was just like we'd seen each other the day before, you know, and that, that's the kind of connection that will never, you know, never leave us. Never. And also, we, yeah, and we did conventions. We did HobbitCon for about three years in a row in Germany too. So that was, uh, you know, always a good good, good catch up uh, in Bond. That's so cool. Um, something that like, I mean, because obviously we're... Uh film students film and vfx students were really interested in like you know how the films were made so like for you like obviously the hobbit was a very visual effects heavy film like it was like you know heavy cg like how is that compared to like you know smaller productions like i've seen jimbo the romantic that was a class little short film you did um Mm. but like how does it compare going between the hobbit and stuff like jimbo the romantic it's, I, I, I don't, I can't remember. I think I got sent the link to that. I, I, I have not, where did you see that? I've never seen that out anywhere. <laughs> one, one of our researchers found it and I was absolutely smitten with it. It's a right laugh of a film. Yeah, well, um, I did that with, um, yeah, ah, wow, that, that's uh, John Michael Mooney who, uh, who directed that. And actually the, the girl on that, um, Lara Lightfoot, who I've sort of known around the traps, she's actually, she was actually doing some, she cast me for this movie. Well, she was the <laughs> casting director when I did my first tape for that. So uh, yeah, that's that's crazy. Look, I think, you know, it's the scale. And The Hobbit, that was the first proper film I'd actually done. You know, I'd, I'd done little bits, but I've done TV stuff, but you know, first proper film job. Um, so I didn't really know any different. And so, of course, afterwards, I was like, oh, I see. Because it had a ridiculous budget. Yeah. But but um, <clears throat> with the effects, obviously, like, they built massive sets. So the great thing was we could see, like, the, the, all the stuff of Rivendell. We could, we could, we were on the mountain, um, you know, so they had the basic set and then obviously just expanded. Like, we were, we were walking over those rickety things with all the real fire in the goblin caves. All that was was quite real, 
and then you know things like that we never saw the dragon for instance that was a big secret oh. so we were going oh there's the dragon whatever that looks like you know we, we'd kind of have to make it up you know so a lot of the effects were were really good i mean one of the first ones we did which was really interesting was the the first bag end scene when uh we were all in bag end set and ian was on the green screen and i think it was well documented at the time that he got quite upset because he, he wasn't working with real actors and he couldn't I think they had coloured lights for each actor, but then he was, he was like, you, should, you do realise that I'm colourblind. Um, so then they put out little faces on tennis balls. That was really challenging for him. But the reason they did that, and Pete explained it later, it was, what, I mean, the, that was our first day shooting and we didn't get one single shot on the first day because they were, they go, let's come back the next day and we got it, then we got some more. But that scene where, you know, because Adam was like, Adam would walk through <laughs> Gandalf, you know, so that they'd have to time it. And it was so, um, the choreography was really detailed. And the reason he did that was he, he was like, we, I want to set up the scale of all these characters really early, like set it up with one big set piece, and then we can cheat it later on. And it just made complete sense to me. It was like, well, that's, you know, like in people's minds, they get the idea. Um, and then, of course, the green screen was used a lot of times because they'd have the set they'd be filming, and we'd be looking at a green screen. Like I remember there was one particular time we were, you know, we'd go around the bend. It was after the wogs were chasing us and we had to squeeze through that little, you know, mm. all those rocks. Yeah. My ladle was actually too big and it wouldn't fit through. There's oh, the, wow. That, that, that's, that's the real version there. And that, that's, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, this is the heavy version. So I didn't carry that at the time. That's one that was made for me and given to me on my last day. But it was, yeah, they had to, had to cut it back. But anyway, we come around the corner and goes, and there you see Rivendell. And we walk around and go, oh, there's Rivendell big green screen and then fast forward about six months later or eight months later and we're on a boat um, and this whole studio was like a massive swimming pool and we're on a boat and I think we're either going to Lake Town or could have been the Lonely Mountain and he says and you look around and he goes oh there's a Lonely Mountain same green screen Jimmy Nesbitt's right behind me and he goes looks just like Rivendell <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was interesting because you know the green screen really says to me and like as an acting coach as well i do a lot of self-tapes i do a lot of auditioning and when i'm coaching my clients it's mainly for auditions because when you're on set you've got you know you've got all the setup you've got your environment you've got the other actors you've got a director telling you what to do but in an audition situation you've got to make it up like and i studied meisner and the, the, a lot one of the keys to meisner that i always tell people it's like being truthful in imaginary circumstances so when we see something we use our imagination and we have we actually have to see it in our minds and have a natural reaction rather than manufacture a way to, you know, to, to react to things. So it was a really good exercise in doing that and just having real reactions at the time, you know. And uh, where, where did you like, uh, did you like go to um, like uh, an acting college or uh, what was it? What was, how did you learn to act? Like, or was it just like a, a thing from when you were a kid? Well, it started off like that. I think I was, when I was about 10 years old, I started doing, you know drama um and we did little plays i did every play at school uh, and through intermediate school uh through the high school i was like i think one of the leads in in third form which is the first year of high school uh, in in college and then all the way through i did plays i did like two or three in my last year of high school which is why my grades just plummeted um so i was doing that and then i got into radio so yeah i, I I'd always wanted to. And then, yeah, then I, I sort of went into, into to radio and I was like a radio producer, like audio producer. And that's why I still do a lot of that now. Um, and voiceover and radio announcer and I was in sports. And then then about 24, I think I was, 20, maybe 
24, 25, I, I got um, promoted to as a radio station manager. Might have been 27. I was quite young. And, yeah. and I went through to about two or three radio stations. And when I was at the last one, I was like, I'm, this is not what I want to do. I, want to, I really want to be an actor. So I left the job, left a cushy job, did night audio production for the radio company I work with in Auckland, uh, did some acting, more acting classes um, with Alona Rogers, who was in an Australian TV show called The Sullivans, and another lady who was amazing called Terry Diarth, which is funny because her name, it just says death, right? But Diarth. And, um, but she was incredible also. And then I got an agent and I just started to work there. Um, that was about 98, I think, when I started to do that kind of stuff. And then, you know, I sort of turned 30, did some more acting stuff, got divorced or split up from my, my partner, my wife at the time in Auckland and just moved to Sydney. And I thought I got a job in radio for Triple M and, you know, and then I did, I went to the Actors Centre in Sydney, just doing a part-time every Saturday because I was working full-time and then joined the Actors Pulse, which is basically a Meisner-based thing. Did that for about hundred years, must have been five, six years. Um, and while I was doing that, I got The Hobbit. So it's kind of like being an ongoing thing. And then after I finished The Hobbit, I left my agent, who was also my voice agent, and I got a really good agent, which I'm with Marky now, which is one of the you know the top agents, quite an exclusive agency in, in Sydney. And that got me to the next level. But the funny thing was when I left and I, before I got the Hobbit, I was doing like little, what we call 50 worders or, you know, supportive guest roles, you know, just little yeah. ones. Then boom, this like $500 million movie well, and the rest. It was a, they spent a lot more than that. But, yeah. you know, it was a massive show. So what was missing was all the credits in between. So since I've been back, you know, I've sort of started small and I've been sort of building on where I started from. But with yeah. the added advantage of, you know, it, I wasn't offered work after The Hobbit. I wasn't, but it kind of got me my agent and it got me into some other rooms, but I ha I've, I've had to work harder. Um, and I've certainly improved like between finishing The Hobbit and now like the level that I'm, I'm working at just as an actor is, is just unrecognizable. And I've, I've had to, I've just had to do it. So, you know on the subject of the uh the hobbit again like you're like i think it's very clear especially for myself like you know i'm one of your patreons how yeah. much the fans like adore bomber like bomber mm. is like he's adored by the entire fan base of uh the hobbit so like how, how how have you felt like you know like connecting with those fans and you know enjoying that Oh, I think it's been amazing. And whether it be through conventions, I mean, I mentioned earlier, we did HobbitCon three years in a row. So they, they flew us to Germany, put us in a hotel with all our mates. I mean, like, you know, you know, but it was always at home as I got to work, you know, um, hardly. Uh, and I've done every convention in Australia. They have um, Supernova is the big one and then Oz Comic Con. And I've done each of them probably about a dozen times. So, um, <clears throat> and also the Patreon, I, like, I enjoy that. And to me, there's, there's worse things that you could do is, is communicate and hang out with people who really love what you do. There's a lot of negative stuff that you could be subject to. And a lot of people aren't into it. You know, a lot of people don't like that. And if they don't, then don't do it. That, that you know, but I, my philosophy has always been to just make people's day. Just don't be a dick. Essentially is, is, is the golden rule. Just, just be nice to people. They really appreciate what you do. Take that appreciation. Um, and, you know, sure, it's been it's been a great supplementary income doing conventions or Patreon. I mean, I don't make a lot out of Patreon, but I mean, it's, you know, that kind of thing is a way that, to communicate. Um, and, you know, there's a there's an audience there. So, I mean, I, I've been trying to get some of my mates on to do like live group calls. There's another sort of outlet called Jimmy, which has just started up in the States. And, you know, we could do like a live group um, thing. But, you know, it's 
trying to get it's like herding cats sometimes so i've taken it upon myself to, to to generate that so i've been doing that with my you know with the fan business with my coaching business and also just recently i've just launched a website for my little studio um i can just do basic you know sound recording stuff so you know it's one of those things as an actor you have to have a lot of other stuff set up because you're not always going to be acting and you don't want to be like desperate for money for the work so i try and keep busy and keep the rent paid with all my other work and then when the acting work comes in it's a bonus you know Okay, so now we're going to go on to our story time segment, which is really just reminiscing about the good times before COVID, uh, just, you know, enjoying stories from the past. And with Stephen here today, we're going to have a little chat about the barrel riding scene in The, the Hobbit, uh, Desolation of Smaug. So, mm. Stephen, how was it basically getting paid to play in a water park <laughs> for two weeks? All right. It was brilliant. And, and the thing was, I'm sure people realised there were so many different sections of it. Um, the only time we were in the actual river was at the very end when we were coming out of the barrels. That was that was the time where that was the Polaris River, um, and we had to shoot we had to shoot that over a couple of days because there was a big storm and the river rose and it took away all the scaffolding. So we were basically floating down the river in these big wine barrels, which had this huge metal ballast in them to keep them upright, and then a big tractor tire or you know inside them to keep us afloat <clears throat> and I remember looking at mine and then there was bubbles I thought it was one of the stunties skin divers but we had a leak I mean it didn't make any, didn't any difference but we'd go upwards and then they'd chuck us on a you know like a, a dinghy or a tinny and drive us back up the river and then we'd, we'd float back down again um, a couple of times they escaped I think uh, John Callan and William Kircher escaped a couple of times um, they got through the safety barrier. I don't know where they are, where they ended up, but I'm, I'm sure they, they came out okay. Um, but one of the instructions that Pete gave us was when you come out of the barrels, you need to come out backwards because if you come out forwards, it's too difficult. And me having the biggest costume anyway, of course, I come out forwards. I don't know why, I just did. And then Graham and Jed and Adam, I think, had to try and get me out and were pulling me out of the barrel. I just completely made a meal of it. Didn't follow instructions, completely stuffed the whole thing. But that moment is actually in the film and it's hilarious because they're trying to pull me out of the barrel. Um, maybe I subconsciously knew that. So like that, that was such a fun day. And, you know, it was just, like I say, theme park ride. A lot of the other part was filmed in a studio in uh, Trentham, which was an old army base. And it was like a, like a big go-kart track you'd get at the, you know, at the fair or at the shows. And it was all water and there was two massive V8 engines either side driving it. And we just went round and round and round and round. And they had all, all the rocks, all the, the set rocks around it. And they changed the set. They'd put the grill up for that gate when we were stuck there. And they just shot all these different angles. And there was a big tip bucket, like this massive tip bucket that Pete would just randomly tip onto someone, you know, which was, I guess um simulating the rapids or you know or the really yeah. rough water so we, we did that for a good couple of weeks um and then the other stuff was so, i mean this didn't wasn't me but sometimes i put the barrels on shopping trolleys and it was on the green screen in a studio and they like doing the fled, fred flintstone walking with these barrels on shopping trolleys so there was that as well um and the moment with my character where after the big fight, which 
none of that all that fight was all that was all um computer generated when i hop in there the wrong way and then they pull me up backwards that was my barrel on this like cantilever and it, they tipped it and they tipped me into a big bucket and then graham and jed lifted me out of this bucket that was all on green screen so there were there were so many different elements to that and then of course that they they chucked a gopro on a on a barrel and sent it down the hooker falls in taupo so that was in there as well so you know the elements of that scene were numerous and i think with my with my fight scene i was probably there was a couple of looks maybe two seconds at the front and three seconds at the end and the rest was computer generated and i saw that very early on in the piece and that was something that pete was really keen to put in very early on but it was great for my character yeah, I mean, it's it's straight up Bomber's probably most badass moment in the trilogy. Like, mm. You know, when he bursts mm. out, when you burst out of the uh, out the barrel, yeah. weapons akimbo. Like you know, <laughs> I know, I know, and I and I really wanted to do that, but I think they got Marky e. Lee, my stunt double, to do that. So oh, that definitely, I was probably having lunch. I was probably <laughs> having lunch with the boys at the time. But but I can yeah. see now, especially when they they do digitals or stunt doubles. You know, when guys are on on um, talk shows. And they show this big stunt movement, and then the actor just goes. That means they weren't there, <laughs> but they don't want to say. <laughs> you prefer practical effects or more visual effects, or make sure of both? I look. I think it depends. Like I obviously, it's great having practical effects if we're there as an actor. It's a lot. It's a lot more interesting. But I know Pete is a director. He did a lot of stuff, especially once they announced they were doing three movies. Um, you know, like the Azog character, obviously change um manu bennett played that we never met manu he came in later and he did all his on the green screen oh he, he did all his sorry in the mocap room that was that was all motion capture um but pete with his camera he could guide and he could see what was happening on the monitor say you know like the goblin when they were going in and out the goblin caves yeah. there's things that you can do on a mocap stage that you just can't do practically so mm -hmm. you know i mean on location incredible some of the stuff they can do they had a unit with a like a helicopter with a big a big camera unit on that with all the all the big sweeping wide shots um so i just think a mix you know uh, i mean practical is always easy to work with because you know what you know what you're doing um i think there's been a move back to practical maybe i, I know pete pushed the envelope with 48 frames and a lot of visual effects some have moved back to practical so i guess it's it's what really works you know and what your budget's like as well i mean the fact that pete's got a you know one of the best um digital um companies in the world in his you know backyard helps as well it's it's, yeah. it's so cool i was gonna say have you done any motion capture work at all or is it just have you ever done any of that no i haven't and i've always wanted to um i know uh well graham uh, worked in LA on uh, Uncharted, the game. And I went to uh, Naughty Dog um, Studios in Culver City and one of the big studios I've got set up there with um, with with their, their mocap stuff. And yeah, I, I was always interested in, in doing that and being part of it. And one of the guys who was in Uncharted, a guy called Nolan North, if you're into gaming, you'd know Nolan. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's, he's a man of a thousand voices. One of the funniest yeah. men I've ever met. He's so funny. Um, and yeah, and his son Cooper North is going to be a star as well. Um, but you know, Nolan's always like, "Oh, I'm going to get you over here and get you in a suit." And yeah, so but I, I just haven't had the opportunity. I always wanted to do stuff with, um, um, you know, with Weta if possible. 
Um, I was trying to go visit the Imaginarium in London when we were over there for the for the premiere. It just never. I was trying to get hold of Andy, but it just it just never worked out. Everyone had a lot of stuff on. Um, so yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to, but I haven't as yet. So would you ever work for like do game stuff or? Oh, totally, totally. And you know, I, I think the gaming industry, especially in LA, is almost bigger than the film industry. There, there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of good money in it. So I'd definitely do that. Um, you know, like I've, I've auditioned for quite a lot of animated films and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's as much of that in um, in Australia. Um, but yeah, that's certainly I'd, I'd be up for that if it comes. That's the thing, like, isn't it? Like, with like you know, being an actor, like you know, you've you've got you can utilize you know not just you know the physical performance. You have like mm. you know, you, I mean, being a vocal actor, like you know, like you you have so many different options as opposed to just being in films and television. Yeah, and like you know, uh, before I did The Hobbit, I was doing you know five voiceovers a week, um, radio or TV voiceovers a lot for New Zealand. Um, the industry's changed a bit now. Um, a lot of guys aren't getting as much because you know that the lower end and online and you know it's just the, the whole the whole um, landscape of, of voiceover work is has kind of changed. Um, but I'm doing like audio books. I can record them myself going direct to the states. So. Yeah, voice work is is another thing, and I also do like voice over coaching and do demos for people. So, you know, it's it's all about, I guess. It was a great quote by Wayne Gretzky, um, you know, the hockey uh, legend, who always said, you know, don't follow the puck; you need to follow where it's going to end up. And in this industry, it's trying to. I mean, I built the studio well before COVID, and having a home studio has just been you know, it was, it was amazing because no one was going into studios. Um, and especially with such a, a fickle industry like acting, having a few things on the go at the same time, one's up, the other's down, you know, but you're always, you're always generating some sort of income. You know, I've got a family, schools to pay for, all that kind of stuff, like normal people. So, you know. Of course, yeah. Um, okay, so that's all we've got time for today. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. And it's no very problem. early over in Australia for you. <laughs> um, is there any uh, like words of encouragement, like you know, about returning to normality eventually uh, from the uh, the COVID situation for the viewers? I, I just think that you know we as humans we're very resilient, you know, and um, there's always as much as there's you know challenges that come out of it. There's always opportunities that come out of it as well. And I just think looking looking ahead that this will all be over soon um sometimes it may not feel like it but it will be over and things will will alter um you know and and just keep pressing on and just keep keep chasing stuff because i think a lot of it is a lot of his mindset is it's it's you know being able to create and it, sometimes it's very hard to create when we're focusing on the challenges that we've got um but in other times that maybe that's an opportunity when we can't do certain things to focus on others like online businesses, you know, my online coaching business, the actorscoach.com.au is really flown. Um, and also my actors coach Patreon page. So there's always different things that are going to, um, you know, come up for different people. And, and I think the other and really important thing is just, is just keep talking, um, you know, keep in dialogue with people because conversations running around in our head sometimes, you know, that can be not as productive um, if there's stuff to say, just keep in communication. And again, we've discovered that in this age where we can't get close, Zoom with a whole group of people, there's a lot of opportunities that 
maybe we didn't see that were right in front of us to you know to keep in touch with people and, and just to keep talking so yeah and that's all we've got time for today thank you very much to Stephen for joining us uh please follow him on instagram at Stephen j hunter one and take a look at his patreons uh Stephen hunter and if you're looking for a bit of acting experience the actors coach uh yeah that's about it guys thank you very much and uh see you all in the next episode bye bye